people. This is our inaugural podcast called Music and We. I am Jamila. And I'm Jester. And we are here in honor of Prince and Michael Jackson. This podcast is going to be different than the majority of podcasts you've heard. It is going to talk about music, but the focus is going to be on the social political realm regarding their music, regarding their works, and to an extent, their lives. Because for us, art is a reflection of life. And so we can't just look at music, take that at face value. There's a lot of things that are reflective in all of us, which is why we connect to people like Prince and Michael. And we just want to pay attention to a certain thing that has happened within the last day. And we want to dedicate this inaugural podcast to Jamel Miles. Jamel Miles was a young boy of nine years old who took his life because people thought he was irrelevant because he was different. And we all know that Prince and Michael were very, very different, and yet we honored them, we celebrated them, we loved them. Let's do the same for our young people. Let's do the same for ourselves. So, Jamel Miles, know that you were loved by people, and you brought so much joy to people, and hopefully people will continue to honor you. Thank you, Jamel Miles. Thank you, Jamel. And, of course, we are celebrating Michael Day Michael would have been 60 years old if he were still here on Earth, but he's not. We can't take anything back, but we can still honor his life. And we want to start off with uh, discussing what we were doing when we heard about the news, Uh, just the the really devastating news about uh, Michael not being here, just I think the whole world was devastated by that. It seemed to have uh, broken the Internet, as they said. It I think did. that's a, a, a newer phenomenon, breaking the Internet, I guess. It did. It did. <laughs> <laughs> but, but websites were crashing left and right. Uh, people texting everyone. And texting was still rel- relatively a newer thing at that point. People still had flip phones and, you know, the... the you didn't have smartphones at the rates that you have now. Yeah. But uh, it, it was such a, a interesting day. Uh, Jesse, you want to start uh, talking about sure. your experience? Yeah, I remember that day. Um, it was definitely one of the most memorable days of my life because I remember earlier throughout the day I was listening to Michael as any other day prior. I was just consuming Michael's music around this time. Um, I was so excited for This Is It, and I was just listening to so much Michael, and I watched Wanna Be Starting Something in 97 in Copenhagen. I remember it because he started it saying, I love you! I love you too! And I was just, you know, dancing with my nephew to that and just having a good time. And then my sister called me and she said, Jesse, did you hear the news? And I'm like, the news about what she's like michael jackson it's everywhere i'm like no she's like it's on the gospel station it's on the rock station it's mm-hmm. on every station on the radio that michael jackson is in a coma so i'm like in a coma no way so i turn on the tv and i see you know emergency breaking news michael jackson is in a coma so i immediately just brushed it off like oh 
I think you'll be okay. And then not long afterwards, it said, of course, that he had passed. And I could not log into Facebook. I could not. I remember just going into Google and every page was just Michael Jackson, you know, reported dead at 50. I could not log into Facebook. I could not even Wikipedia crashed. Twitter crashed. I was on Twitter a lot during this time, too, because Twitter had just began around this time and Twitter crashed. You couldn't even log into Twitter without it saying this site is not working right now. That's how big of a deal it was to the world. I think all of us on a higher scale understood that this was just not any ordinary death. So I remember just being very shocked and amazed at the fact that he had passed, especially since he was rehearsing for This Is It. I just could not believe it. And it's also a day I remember I lost my glasses. I had a new pair of glasses. I may have gotten it maybe a week before his passing and I lost it that day. <laughs> but that I just, <laughs> yeah, it sucked really bad because it was actually a nice pair of glasses. My mom was pretty angry at me that I managed to lose them. But I'm like, I just, I just remember the atmosphere. Everything was just so tense and everybody was talking about it. And it maintained that way for at least four to six months. I mean, it's just every day people were talking about Michael Jackson and it just never, you know, faded from my memory, how powerful everyone was just emotional, all of the music channels, all of even, you know, people. I mean, it's funny because the world, I think, saw what they did to Michael in retrospect and wanted to forgive themselves for the death because I feel like the media and a lot of other things really contributed to his passing. But um, for sure, I remember that day. I remember just being shocked, overwhelmed, disappointed. And I couldn't believe it. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. Well, it's actually a context to everything that happened on that day. And I was doing radio at the time. But around then, I had this job where I was able to bring all my Michael dolls. I had 17 Michael dolls. And... I would, I don't know if I brought all of them, but I definitely brought most of them. Mm-hmm. And I would um, have a, a little little display of Michael dolls. And sometimes I would have candles. And people would ask me if he had died. And I said, no, I just love Michael. I'm just, mm-hmm. you know. And, and the funny thing is, around the time he turned 50, something in me said, he was going to leave this earth Mm. around the age of 49. I said, he's going to leave this earth. Something in me said that I never talked about it at that time. And we had a 50th birthday celebration for him. It was myself, uh, my friend Barry, who actually is not physically here anymore and Edgar. So we all were DJing this, this party. It was this, this, 50th Earth Day birthday celebration for Michael. And when he turned 50, I just breathed a sigh of relief. Uh-huh. Whew, because I thought he was, I, when he turned 50, something said he's, he's just not going to be here. Uh-huh. And I didn't even know the amount of rehearsals he was doing. I didn't really know much about this is it. I just, right. for some reason, connected with Michael. I didn't follow all the stuff that was going on but i loved him enough to have this 
the setup and these candles and I guess you could now say vigil, but mm-hmm. he was still alive. And so all these people would say, you love him. Is he, what's going on? Is he okay? And I said, I guess he's okay. But something in me said, something's going on and he's not well. And I don't know why I thought that. And so, yes, he turned 50. I breathed a sigh of relief. And then he was gone at the age of 50. And right before he left, I had a series of dreams. There were really intense dreams where I was fighting with him. And I don't know what those dreams mean to this day. But the both of us were fighting about something. I don't, uh, I have no idea. I, I don't know. And I'm sure there's some spiritual element to that if people uh, are dream interpreters uh, that are listening to this podcast. I can go into more detail if you want to know, and maybe you can interpret those dreams. I wrote some of them down. But, yeah, there were really intense dreams where we were fighting. And the very last dream I had of Michael before he left, Um, We were upset with each other, and I put my hand on his shoulder to apologize to him and said, it's going to be okay, something to that effect. Mm -hmm. And then he was gone. Wow. And uh, so I took that to heart very much. And the day it happened, everyone was calling me. I, I, you know, didn't. I wasn't on my phone a lot, so I have no idea what's going on. I didn't text, but all these people were texting me. And I was preparing to do my radio show, but it was a show for Gilberto Gil. Gilberto Gil is, I love him. He's, if you don't know who he is, he is a guitarist in Brazil. He's amazing. But I was going to do a show in honor of Gilberto Gil, so I was prepping all of my music for that. I go into another part of the house and a housemate says, don't turn on your computer. And I said, what are you talking about? And she just kept saying, don't turn on the computer. Wow. I said, what? Did you break the computer? What's happening? I don't know what's happening. And she said, Michael Jackson had a heart attack. And I literally sat down and said, what are you talking about? And as if on cue, another housemate comes down the stairs and says, yeah, he had a heart attack. I said, what are y'all talking about? And I'm going to turn on the computer. And when I turned on the computer, those three words showed up everywhere. And immediately tears just started rolling down my eyes. And again, as if on cue, another housemate comes in, knocks on my door and just gives me a hug. And all these people were texting me. Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? People were trying to see if I was going to do the radio show, if I was well enough to do it. Um, I And I went to my job the next day. People were sending me cards. When I was doing the radio show that evening, people were sending me flowers. People sat with me. People treated Michael Jackson as if he were my family member. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that is how much people saw he meant to me. Yeah. And it was just so moving. And so we had people call in. People were saying, thank you for doing the show. People aren't really doing the show in this way. All we did was play with. I brought as much music as I could. I have a bicycle. So, 
you know, I, I just put all of my records in a bag that I could and put them in a basket. And I'm carrying vinyl. I'm just, <laughs> y'all know, I'm carrying vinyl. So it's heavy. And I have a crate full of micro records. And so I'm carrying as much as I can to the station. And so there was another show playing. And um, one of the, I think she was a news director. So she said, we can just cut off the show and you can just start your show. And so uh, the show I did was three hours instead of the normal two that I was doing at that time. And the first song that was played was Speechless. I just started wailing. Yeah, that's a powerful one to start with. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah. And so we just played his music, quotes from him. Um, and people just stayed with me throughout the night. And and while I was doing that show, I didn't cry. People were hanging out with me. But the second I stopped doing the show and hanging out, I just started crying. Couldn't stop. And I cried for 16 days straight. And then took a little break and then cried some more. This is how much Michael Jackson means to me. And this is why I think the show is important. And this is why I think it is crucial to humanize him and not lionize him as this this mode of perfection he was a human he had faults he had imperfections and i think it's okay to look at that because we all have faults we none of us are perfect to so to say michael is god pe people connect with him in some way i think largely because of his faults whether or not people acknowledge that you know that that's one thing but i really do think people did connect with how he was treated, people connected with um, his shyness, people connected with his double cautiousness, people connected with a lot of things that were not necessarily based on music. And yeah. for me, that's what I connected with, with Michael. The other context is I was um, in the midst of writing a book when all of this was going on. I was writing a book for about uh, two, two and a half years. And the whole point of the book was to thank Michael for being a catalyst for my own healing and doing research on Michael and understanding the trauma that he's gone through and, and me going through similar trauma as a child. No, I wasn't a celebrity. Still not. I'm OK with that. Mm -hmm. But but we had similar childhoods and I connected with that. And so there was so much in me that I wanted to get out and a lot of healing I needed to do and and looking at Mike how Michael lived his life that was informative for me to get to work to do that healing and I will forever be grateful to Michael for that even almost 10 years after he's gone I'm still grateful that he was a catalyst for the healing that I've done in my life and this is why I think this work is important and why this podcast is important yes then I'm done. <laughs> that was beautiful. <laughs> and I just wanted to add to that briefly um, and say I, w I had the, the privilege of going to an exhibition that there was in London uh, entitled On the Wall. And I was, it was a really wonderful exhibition. And one of the quotes uh, for one of the art pieces was by uh, David LaChapelle. And I wanted to read it because I think it's very relevant. And he says that we persecuted him. Every person who ever bought a tabloid or watched the news, we all contributed to the death by taking in that form of gossip. Michael Jackson was destroyed like no other person in our times. You have to remember that Michael Jackson was innocent. 
He was proved innocent in our courts. If you read the transcripts of the trial, it is insanity. It should never have gone to court. We spent tens of millions of dollars to persecute him when we don't have money for schools in California, not because he was a celebrity, but because he looked different. He was obsessive about privacy and made and it made him other. It made him different. And he went from being the most famous, most beloved singer to the most reviled, joked about. He couldn't open a newspaper without reading horror stories about himself. Um, and while that's heavy, I think it just, if anything, causes self-reflection. And Michael had such an impact on our lives. And to see all of what he was able to accomplish and also just see the responses from the media and and general people because they could not accept his difference and just when you layer that upon layers of just judgment that has no source it contributes to that so i think we all can do our part in examining the ways we treat people just because of their differences and again acknowledging the humanity of these people instead of propping them up and making them God-like because we're all in this together and we're all capable of falling. We're all going to fall and it's okay to fall, um, but we still got to be there for each other. And the words of Michael, will you be there? So mm. I just wanted to add that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know we're talking about losing a major, major figure in our lives, but we also want to celebrate what he's contributed and we want to focus this inaugural podcast on discussing um, what he does mean to us and how he's impacted our lives and how he has inspired us. And if you want to talk about that, you want to go and talk about how he's uh, inspired you. Yeah, well, just briefly, I mean, I should point out my connection to Michael started really late. I come from a church background and I was not listening to any music that I don't I deemed secular. So it wasn't until around 2007 when I really started to discover who Michael Jackson was. I saw Beat It for the first time on YouTube. And from then on, I just consumed so much of his music. I started listening to Remember the Time and all the stuff he did with his brothers, the Jackson Five, the Jacksons. And I just became enthralled just spellbound by his talent but most importantly what he was singing about he was singing about things that a lot of people in his era didn't even touch on he was talking about environmental issues he was talking about police brutality he seemed to be a student himself and that's what really drew me to michael and that's still one of the things i appreciate the most about michael is that he was very conscious about the state of the world and he used his gift as a platform. I mean, he performed the Super Bowl in front of all of these people um, singing about healing the world. And, you know, for a lot of people, for some reason, they say, oh, that's so cheesy. But it's like you're not listening. <laughs> people. It's a reason why Michael reached out to so many people. He had a way of embodying just these magnetic ways of remembrance. So he would wear the white uh, socks because you remember that. You remember the glittery uh, glove and the armbands and all these indicators that there's something that's making you look at him. And then when you look at him, you're listening to his voice. And his voice was obviously one of the best voices in our modern time. And again, 
he made himself an example. I love that his music videos dealt with these hard topics that America in particular does not like to talk about. So he will talk about the prisoners industrial complex through songs like they don't really care about us uh, and Earth Song and all of these these layers of topics that a lot of people are afraid to talk about because it's not a moneymaker. I really appreciate that he, he didn't just stick on talking about the most common. Nothing is wrong with talking about love and emotional, you know, turmoil, but he did it in a way that was transcendent. And I just appreciate how he maintained that throughout his life. Songs like What More Can I Give? And it was almost like he 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 knew that, OK, I'm here and I'm going to do something about being here. I'm going to make a difference. And he lived that difference. And it's a shame to see how his innocence and his his shyness, all of these characteristics that are seen to be non masculine are just fragile or weak. He wore those characteristics proudly. He wasn't afraid to embrace animals, you know, and that's something that I think a lot of people don't really focus on. They always talk about bubbles, but it wasn't just bubbles. This man had giraffes and llamas and, you know, and that for some reason for some people was weird. And he because this is a black man that is embracing all kinds of life, you know, mm -hmm. and, and 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 taking everyone in. And his love for children was a pure love. It wasn't the fact that it was turned to be sinister. And it's almost like people can't see this as being acceptable when it's coming from a black man. And and then when you add to the layers of his own personal health issues, he had Viago, which obviously for a lot of people. I'm thankful a lot of people can understand that this is obviously a real disease. This is nothing that was made up. He actually had this disease and it changed his skin, the pigmentation of his skin, but it didn't change who he was. Um, and so I feel like Michael paid the price. He was the most famous man in the world. And it's sort of like nature gives this yin and yang. And unfortunately, he had to reap the rumors and all of the craziness behind it simply because he accepted all of what he was. And I think sometimes he played with that. I think he wanted to plant different assumptions and what people thought about him. But sometimes it, the media took it too far. Um, but I mean, again, his social, political, conceptual conversations and his music at a time when it wasn't popular, at a time when it was seen as controversial. I mean, when you think of the black or white video, MTV banned that video. <laughs> and it's not even like he's going out of his way to say, I mean, what he was saying was just spot on, but it was just too much. How could you, how are you talking about the, you know, him, the fact that he expressed rage and that rage was seen as unacceptable. You, you can't be angry, Michael. You're too big to be angry. You're too, too 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 big to be angry and he, he dared to be angry he dared to to challenge those systems um and that's what makes me appreciate him because that's consistent in all of his music even in the 80s even when you think of a song like we are the world or even want to be starting something you know the aspect of 
having kids and not taking care of kids, you know. <laughs> if you can't have a baby, then don't have your baby. I mean, Ooh, I, you went there. <laughs> yeah, they're just I can go on and on. But if anything, it's the music that obviously connects me. But on a higher level, it's the fact that he was shameless in his expression and he talked about social political things often it wasn't a new thing and it, and it seemed to come from an authentic place you can tell he was a student and he's been surrounded his whole life among just great people old hollywood had the privilege of talking to elizabeth taylor and people he he loved you can he was a sponge michael jackson was a sponge and yet he was able to incorporate all of those different people that he learned from in a unique way where it was still him. You can see all of those different people, but you can also see Michael. He had the magic of blending childhood-like magic and also reformed intellectual. It, it was always a blend. It wasn't, it's nothing too deep that a child couldn't understand. It was something that on any level someone can take. And that's what I've always appreciated too. Like the way children respond to Michael, my nephew, the way he responds to Michael is, amazing and that's that's universal you can look at a child and see how they when they listen to michael's music they hear the joy they hear the passion and that's something that's rare because a lot of people are pretenders and i think michael he didn't have to pretend when he would record he would literally be dancing in a studio and if he was angry he would break the walls down and break glass and he didn't mind being in the moment whatever that moment looked like and and that's something that's it's very rare to see, and he gave that, and it's very inspiring. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, oh. For me, how I learned to love Michael, I'll put it that way. I've always liked Michael, mm -hmm. but I learned to love him through his faults. That might sound weird to people because a lot of people do love him because of the music. But I grew up on Michael. I was born actually the same month that the first Jackson's album came out. So I'm, I'm giving y'all my age. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I was born right after Moving Violation and uh, the Jackson's album. And then I grew up watching the Jackson's TV show. Uh, what was that? Uh, 77, 78. I grew up with Michael all over the place. Even though I wasn't physically here when the Jackson 5 were here, I grew up with that music. And Michael, to me, meant uh, a reprieve from whatever abuse was going on. So to find out that he was abused himself as a child, it's just interesting to, to have all of this come full circle for me. And I remember the Jackson 5 Christmas album in particular, being played a lot and my mother changing the lyrics around and mm -hmm. just music for her was a response to whatever pain she was going through and just listen to so much of the Jackson 5 uh, more more Jackson 5 than the Jacksons my mother listened to but we listened to the Jackson we listened to all of that and then to grow up having a Michael doll. So again, I'm showing my age. I had a Michael doll. I had a, a Thriller doll. <laughs> and watching the Thriller movie and being scared. And I had nightmares after watching the Thriller movie. So I don't know how kids <laughs> watched that and they were okay with it because I was 
I was a kid when I saw it and I, I couldn't do it. So just growing up with Michael, I, I always liked Michael. My sister was in love with both Michael and Prince and she had two big posters on the wall and they both actually freaked me out because <laughs> when, uh, what was that? When doves cry, that, that video freaked me out. I was just like, this dude, I can't deal with this dude Prince. What is he doing in this bathtub? Yeah, I, I, he freaked me out. And they both freaked me out because every single short film slash video that came out of Michael's was just so dark. And just the yeah, way they filmed yeah. it was dark. Um, the Rockwell, somebody's watching me. Just the, all, anything associated with Michael freaked me out. Even right. though I really liked Michael, he freaked me out at the same time. That's what I, I also appreciate. He did play with darkness a lot. He did. <laughs> and that freaked me out because I don't, I'm yeah. just not into that. But I, for some reason, was really into his music. He freaked me out. And it's not even because what everybody says, oh, he's freaky. But he just freaked me out because of the videos. And then my sister was just obsessed with them. So that just creeped me out even more. And then the, my biggest memory was when Bad came out. And I grew up in Brooklyn, close to the Hoyt and Skimmerhorn station, and I didn't even know they were filming there. And so when I found that out, I was like, what? Like, I remember when they were filming Do the Right Thing. I remember all of that walking through that, but I do not remember them filming bad. And I used to go to Hoyt and Skimmerhorn, so I'm just like, I don't remember signs. I don't remember anything. And so in school, uh, we used to remake lyrics. So, of course, Liberian Girl was like Siberian Girl, Librarian Girl, <laughs> all of this stuff. So right. much of my life was surrounded by Michael. And then around the age of 18, I stopped watching TV. So I didn't follow anything. So I used to watch uh, my last memory of watching Michael on TV was remember the time, black or white in the cloth, all that stuff, because it has uh, Watching Michael were major events. It, it, like Michael short films came on after or before The Simpsons. I can't remember what order, but there was always that connection where Fox, because Fox was new at the time. It wasn't mm -hmm. like how people think of it now. It's a very new medium. And you, so you had Marable Children, The Simpsons, very extremely new platform at the time. And so Michael Jackson was also huge. And so they made these distribution deals and it was an event. Millions of people sat around the TV and watched his short films. And yeah. And so I remember when it was banned. So I remember the unedited version of the short film when they didn't have the graffiti. People right. think graffiti yeah, came first, mm -hmm. but, but no, it, it actually was unedited. And then they, they, they banned it and then put it back with the graffiti. So, so people could be like, Oh, I get, I guess I see what you're saying. But but you had around that time, too, where Rodney King was beat yeah. by the LAPD. Yeah. And and part of black or white, the, the second half of that was reflective of the anger African people were feeling. And then right. do, the, do the right thing came on in 89. So a lot of this was happening. A, a lot of this this anger towards. Uh, police brutality, if you will, systemic racism and white supremacy. Like, I know the first part was, it don't matter if you're black or white, but the second part was the real anger of African people collectively. That's and an, that a was a very important context. I'm glad right. You and that yeah. was a way of Michael expressing himself because people thought of him 
as asexual at the time. I don't know why, given his music. I'm like, huh? Um, (laughs) People thought of him as harmless, apolitical, and that is to some extent how he presented himself. But for that, he's grabbing grabbing his crotch, simulating masturbation and all that. So he was like, here I am. Here I am. This is how I'm presenting myself in this moment. And people were shocked because, again, people knew him a, a thriller, and bad. And you're just like, oh, you know, he he's not clean anymore. What's going on? And then he did like in the closet. So he's presenting himself as a man who's just like, yes, I am a sexual being. And so that's another context. So that's how I started to see Michael again. But then I do remember the first case with uh, what's the what's the guy? The the first uh, Jordan Chandler. Yeah. So I do remember that. Because that was huge at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was all over. But then I stopped watching TV a, a little after that. So I had no idea. And people may find me weird for this. But I had no idea there was a trial in 2005. Even though. Wow. Was, yeah. Even though I was I listening to Michael crazy. Jackson. Wow. And, and, and so this is, again, like, I really think this is a spiritual thing. Because around that time, even though I didn't know there was like this huge trial, I was just like, Michael, I really feel like listening to Michael right now. I, I don't know what, what that is. But I was at this job, and I was like, I really want to listen to Michael. And they would put on Michael or whatever. But I had no idea there was this huge thing going on. And I didn't find out till like a year or so later there was a trial. And so I poured in a lot of energy looking over the transcripts, the police report, the affidavits, all of that, read the books. I I read all of that, the FBI files. I poured so much time and energy into that. And I was just like, okay, I don't see any evidence of this that, you know, and so, um, and so then I started writing about Michael Stern in 2006 and, um, and just started connecting with him more. And again, I have no idea why. I have no idea why. I was just like, Michael Jackson, okay, you know. <laughs> and again, I've listened to Michael over the years and I was like, I like him, but I didn't start to, it's funny that you're saying 2007, because that's when I really started to love Michael and appreciate Michael. Again, I grew up with Michael since before I came right. onto this earth. <laughs> yes. But then I didn't start to love him until about late 2006, 2007. Wow. And um, because, again, like I started connecting with him on this level outside of music. All those other years, I connected with him on this musical level. But it wasn't until I saw him outside of that as, as just a human was when I really started to love him. And I started to love him because of his faults. And that's why I think it's funny where people are like, no, he's God, he's perfect. Like, don't highlight his mistakes and whatever. But that's what made me love him was all the mistakes. So, yeah, I'm personally going to highlight them because they helped me learn about myself. And so with that, I started writing a book and highlighting these mistakes and and highlighting all these things, which helped me, again, learn about myself and to to contribute to my personal healing journey. And I wanted to write this book thanking him. And so my goal was to finish writing this book. And I spent some some days I got no rest, like one hour of rest, sometimes none. 
um, writing this book. And I went through a major depression writing this book because, again, it was this healing journey. And so I had to look in the mirror. <laughs> no mm-hmm. pun intended. Uh, and so I went through a lot and I, I did healing with people who were abusive to me. I, I did all of that work. And my goal was to finish the book, get a ticket to London and give it to Michael, either Michael or his people, just to say thank you. I didn't necessarily want to see the show, honestly, because I just like I don't want people screaming in my ear. I don't want people passing on on me. I'm just not going to enjoy the show. But I wanted to give him the book just to say thank you for everything you've done. That's all I ever wanted to say to Michael was thank you. And I it, it never happened. And so I never finished writing the book. People ask, oh, why didn't you finish writing? Because everything just took a different turn and, and the book has a different context. And so finishing it doesn't make sense to me. So I started doing other things. Uh, I was writing a, a blog in relation to Michael prior to 2009, but I totally switched it over to another site and really focus on writing, writing on Michael um, in a different context. But um, the, this is <laughs> so I actually sat there for two and a half hours to try to get a ticket to see this is it. And one I was on, I think, two or three computers because like, <laughs> I was like, well, I was in a place that wasn't my house that I was able to do that. And so one of the one of the computers actually logged in where I could get a seat, but it timed out because I was on another computer when it happened. So I was like, oh, I was so mad. And then um, finally, when I had the opportunity and it was a pretty good seat, it was on the floor, pretty close to the stage. And come to find out, I wasn't able to get a ticket because I didn't have an American Express card. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. They <laughs> signified the tickets just for American Express? Well, I think what happened was, and I found this out after they told me I couldn't get a ticket. So once the certain percentage of tickets sell out, then the rest are reserved for American Express cardholders. So that's what happened. And I was like, are you serious? It was a pretty good seat, too. I was like, man. (laughs) So uh, that was my one story. I've never seen Michael live. I am personally okay with that. Again, I'm not trying to have people scream in my ear or pass on. I mean, I'm not into it. I'm not <laughs> into it. I want to enjoy the show. I paid money to see the show. I, I just like 30 seconds after seeing it, like seeing him on stage, I passed out. I mean, I, I just I could I couldn't do it. Like, and those tickets are expensive. Yeah. I'm not trying to pass out. I'm trying to get I my was- money. I was going to take a risk and just get a passport and stand outside of the O2 like, hey, I came all the way from Texas. Y'all better let me in this motherfucker. No. <laughs> because I already knew there was no way of me getting a ticket. I did try to get a ticket. I only had one computer and it was not the best computer and the site kept crashing. So I was like, ah, it's no, it's no sense in doing this. But I knew that I could get a passport and that I could go to London and try. And I was going to hold one of those signs. I just wanted to be in that space because the energy around that time when this is it. I remember I remember the announcement and just the hype and the aura just breathed suspense, you know. And so I was just going to try my luck. But, yeah, 
<laughs> well, okay, let's talk about, and then and then I'll talk about the stuff I feel inspires me. But let's talk about that announcement because for me, it reminded me of the Victory Tour announcement. And first of all, when you had the This Is It tickets, initially it was a ticket lottery, which is exactly what they had with the Victory Tour. So it, the whole thing was reminding me of the Victory Tour. And I think that is what gave me some bad vibes about it and why I was like, he's not going to survive it. And uh, so they had the ticket lottery and then that sold out really fast. And so they extended the dates and then you saw his announcement and clearly Just for the listeners. Can you explain what a ticket lottery is? Oh yes. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> so the ticket lottery is basically you take your chances and you put your name in this pot, if you will, and they pick your name out and then you get one to four tickets. I don't know how many tickets they were given out, but I think it might have been four. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, your name would be randomly picked. Okay. And so they were doing, I think, daily ticket lotteries on the official site. And that was one of the few times I looked at the official site because I didn't I didn't even look at his website or anything. I just didn't follow any of that. I just connected with Michael. I didn't follow any of it. And so he comes on to, I don't care what anybody says. I think he was tipsy or drunk. Completely. I, I believe I, that was confirmed that he, he oh, drank okay. before. Yeah, I believe it was confirmed mm, that he took I, some wine. Mm-hmm. You can clearly see it with the strut. <laughs> he was like, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think he, he was going through it at the time and and he didn't want to do 50 shows and they didn't announce 50 shows at that time. But he hated touring. He was pretty open about that since the 80s. And so this whole thing he was upset about is very clear. And so his staggered speech, everything about it, his, his he was just kind of like wavering back and forth. And I just didn't feel right about it. And I sat up there forever and waited for this announcement. I was one of those people that sat up. I got no rest. And I ended up getting some rest, coming back and just watching the replay or something. And so I'm I'm looking at it. I'm like, "Uh, uh, yeah, this is the victory tour all over again. And that's the first thing I thought. So I didn't feel right about it. But I said, you know, if this really is his uh, last set of shows, I'll just get a ticket because why not? That's how I felt about it, (laughs) to be honest. So what were your thoughts when you saw it? I mean, I was just so excited because, again, my experiences with Michael were not as advanced, definitely not as advanced as yours. But I knew when I watched it that this was something incredible and I knew that I wanted to be a part of it, especially since he specified these will be my final shows. This is the final curtain call. And then after he said that, it was something about his posture that was like, this is it like this this is really it when i say it this is it so it just made it even more amazing because i had never and i still haven't seen michael live and i wanted to see him live because regardless of what it would have entailed just to be in that moment and just to see him come back after the trial because when you really contextualize the events in Michael's life, it's not been that long. When you right. look at the Martin Bashit, and that's the way I say it, sorry, I don't say Bashit, <laughs> I say Bashit. When you look at the Martin Bashit documentary, that was in 2006 or five. And the trial was in 20, 2006. No, no, the, 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 the
The documentary was 2003 and the trial was 2005. Okay. Documentary 2003, uh, trial in 2005. And so four years after the trial, or even if you look at the Diamond Award that he won in 2006. Mm -hmm. So three years afterwards, he's announcing the show. Um, it's not been a lot of time that's passed. So I'm just like, wow, he's really going to come back. He's going to, he's going to show the world. And I thought it was interesting that it was going to be in London. Although again, I understood because why would he want to come back to America anyway? I mean, America basically <laughs> just kicked him out. Um, so I was just excited and I knew I wanted to be there. I did find it a bit odd that he was so, um, he seemed to just be on something because, I mean, he was doing this with his hands and, you know, the kind of Marlon Brando pose at the end. And it was uh, it, you can just see he was showing the world. All right. This is it. I'm Michael Jackson. Come to see me. Mm -hmm. you know? And I think everyone felt that like, oh, I mean, that's why the ticket site crashed all around the world. I mean, it was basically impossible to get a ticket because even if, I mean, you had three computers, I know people will like, put <laughs> 10 computers up just to see if they can get a ticket because this was a once in lifetime opportunity. The last time he toured was 10 years, uh, yeah, 97, that, history, right? 97. Yeah. And I believe that ended around 99. So it was like, yeah, I mean, this was the time I, I just know I wanted to be there. Because it felt, it felt final. And again, my experience with MJ wasn't that strong. So I, I just thought he was going to be able to pull it off because of the announcement, just the, the aura. It wasn't until I saw the movie when I was like, mm, there's other, I mean, and then I had to do research and see what was going on. And I'm not here to say, cause I know some fans, would say no he was in perfect shape and he he would have been able to do 50 shows and 100 shows it's like look michael jackson had an enormous track record of health problems you know and this is not to say he's incapable this is just to acknowledge that he had a lot going on with himself and it's not i'm not even speaking of the mental turmoil and the contractual bullshit that he was dealing with i'm just speaking of the fact that he had lupus and that he had an eating disorder at times but this is obviously i can go all over the place with that but um again i still wanted to be there and even if i didn't have a ticket i was gonna try to make it out there mm. Mm -mm -mm. yeah that, we can go out though we, that's the trampoline of a of a cliffhanger right there but um I, I just want y'all to know I have yet to see this is it. I refuse to see it. So <laughs> I refuse to watch it to this day. I don't know if I will ever watch it. I won't say I'll never watch it. I'll just say I don't know if I will ever watch it. Right. <laughs> well, on, on on that note, let's let's hear your uh, influences. What mm. uh, what you were going to finish off with. Oh, man, this is it. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole new podcast. That is a whole. Oh, that, mm. <laughs> so the one thing and you mentioned some of them already, but his capacity to display vulnerability, I think that's a huge factor in why people connected with him. People who felt like outcasts. You know, here's this man who was crying in his music. 
And of course, mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy famously made a joke about it. And I don't care what anybody says. I think the joke was hilarious. Yes, I love Michael, but yeah, no, yeah, you know, <laughs> I I was I was alive when that was going on, and Michael was huge, and people did comedy about him. is is very different in this day and age. We we could do, that's a whole other podcast, like the the, the generational response responses to Michael, but uh. But Eddie Murphy was one of the top comedians at that time, and Michael Jackson was one of the top performers at that time. So he was bound to have people make jokes. And the whole, Tito, get me some tissue, Jermaine, stop teasing. I'm sorry, it's funny. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. And so (laughs) the, the fact that here is this man who's crying on his albums and so she's out of my life was famously the first song he he publicly cried about and then he's crying in songs like gone too soon or will you be there so that's a quality or or uh be not always there's songs where he just was so overtaken with emotion that during the recording he cried and i really appreciate that because of the rash of hyper masculinity and popular music, particularly in this day and age, yeah. to to have a man who was as popular as he was and as loved as he was to be able to to not be afraid to cry in his music is a huge deal to me and is something I admire about Michael Jackson. That's definitely a huge factor in, in my admiration for him. Uh, you mentioned his highlighting of suffering with not only humans, but non-humans. Uh, What's Going On is the first album I've heard in my life which highlights the suffering of non-humans in popular culture, I should say. I mean, people were doing that type of activism outside of music, but to highlight it in popular culture and make it a, a, a best-selling album, I think, is commendable for Marvin Gaye because that that was a huge deal because he was making primarily love songs and then the the invasion of Vietnam happened. And so he wanted to make a difference through his art. And I think Michael took cues from that. And starting, I'm going to say in particular with Dangerous, he started yeah. making more socially conscious music. And so a song like Why You Want to Trip on Me in particular uh, just highlights Michael didn't write that. Did he co-write that? I think well, he, he I don't I think he, he wrote did that. He co- okay. So Teddy. But I think Teddy Riley wrote the bulk of that. I have to check on that. <laughs> but uh I got to have all my albums here on during the podcast right so we just pull them out. I think I'm going to do that next. <laughs> but uh but to have a song like that is one of the first songs in popular culture where you hear somebody saying, do not focus on me. There's a lot of things going on in the world. And so everyone's saying that Michael's a megalomaniac. Eh, I mean, I think he overcompensated for the trauma he experienced, but to call him a megalomaniac, I I personally don't think that would be accurate. And and songs like Why You Want to Trip on Me are a perfect example of that. Why are y'all focused on me trying to take pictures and trying to get all in, in my grill while people are being beaten by cops, people are starving, these invasions are happening, focus on that. I, I, I just think that's another commendable aspect for Michael. And then you have songs where, again, he's he's speaking to his vulnerability and will you be there? 
And, and so th- to me, that's his first socially cautious album. I think songs like Want to Be Starting on Something have some aspects of that. But right. I feel I feel like Michael, in a lot of ways, was socially conservative, not politically, but socially conservative. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. uh, songs like Want to Be Starting on Something uh, speak to that. But uh, yeah. to to the the political aspect, yeah, he always spoke to those issues that people didn't necessarily hear unless you paid close attention. People were focused on "Beat It," which I guess you could say is a socially conscious song. Mm-hmm. But 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 to get deeper into it, the history album, which is my favorite Michael album in his adult life, um, he really same, same. He, he started getting into to conspiracy theories on that album. I was like, okay, Michael, okay. Money. <laughs> Money, uh, they don't care about us. Uh, just, just so many songs. Uh, DS. <laughs> yeah. Tablet yeah. Ooh, So many of those songs. And then he was also talking about his personal journey. And so he just showed the variety of his experiences, but also not making the whole album about himself. Scream. Just so many of those songs. And uh, and then, you know, he didn't really do anything political with Invincible. But I think that was just him making music and getting back to to some of those elements he was known for before Thriller. Yes. I don't I don't care what anybody says. Yeah. I, I, people are like, oh, Invincible. But that was him, you know, making an album that to me, that wasn't a pop album. That was kind of getting back to the elements. It's in the pop realm, but it definitely had more elements of R&B, classic R&B, classic soul, quote unquote, etc. But he had such a a, a wealth of music and and so much music that we have yet to hear and we might never hear. And, you know, people say, oh, I've heard every Michael song. It's like, no, you haven't heard everything in the vault. (laughs) Because I, I, you know, and I have every Michael album, but I... Still haven't heard every song. And uh, again, the double consciousness, I think, is really crucial to mention because of folks who are under enemy lines and and colonized areas uh, uh, who are African have to go through a double consciousness in many cases. When you go to your jobs, uh, when you're dealing with the public in many cases, and, and Michael was no different. He had the side of him where he wasn't public and he was uh, clocked out from his his job and then he had a side of him when he was clocked in and we're definitely going to do an episode about that but his double consciousness was very clear and to me that's an, an indicative of something that most of us who are African have to go through in this life uh, his ability to to reach masses in ways politicians couldn't know. He even mentioned that in a 2020 episode. Was that 1980, 1979, 1980? It was during the uh, Triumph tour. So it was like 1980. And uh, he just said, you know, music reaches people in ways politicians cannot. And I think Michael uh, did a very, very good job with that. (laughs) It's like you could go to, you know, Sweden where you are. You could go to Ghana you could go to Hawaii. You could go to Greenland. You could go to Tanzania. You could go anywhere around the world. And I guarantee you, everyone has heard the name Michael, Michael Jackson. Jackson. That is yes. the impact. 
that he has made globally. Uh, another thing which I think is crucial is his ability to keep up mystery. And so getting back to that point, people think his onstage persona is a persona he, he has offstage. And so he was able to keep that where people are like, oh, Michael never swore. Michael never swore. Michael never did this. It's like, How do you know? Do you follow him 24 seven? Because right. you, people don't know how even people who were supposedly close to him didn't know how he totally was because there were parts of him that he reserved for specific people. And and, and I'm sure there were <laughs> and I'm sure, you know, there were some parts of him that he never told anybody. And so to, to like we're sitting over here like far away and we're like, oh, I know him very well based on some interview he gave. Like there was some some interviews he gave where he was fabricating things like, <laughs> hello. I mean, that's it's he's it's using a persona and so we can't assume that we know someone based on their per performative life and so that's a whole other episode i think this episode this inaugural episode is basically bookmarking things we're going to talk about in future episodes yes. <laughs> we're also trying we're trying to honor michael but when talking about him there's so many other derivatives we can go on to but right. you're absolutely right i mean we already have a lot of podcasts set out for what we're going to talk about eventually because there's so much to unpack when you think of just his impact. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned anywhere in the world you can go. They've heard the name Michael Jackson. They know a song. I'm talking about remote villages in Africa and the Amazon. You know, it doesn't matter. And that just shows you his impact. I mean, there's not a lot of people that we can say that when they pass, the Internet stops. And the world stops. That's that. That's a different kind of impact. That's a different kind of um, power. And I don't think we really, really know just how blessed and, and just kind of how famous, just the impact of someone of that magnitude. We haven't seen since probably Mozart or any. I mean, who who compares in terms of that kind of impact? Not anyone in our lifetime. Not anyone I would say in the last 100 years, even. Now we gotta I would even that, say, I, I would say that. No, I only say that, and I would just bookmark this a bit too, because a lot of people say, "Oh, the Beatles were, or the, or Elvis." But again, we'll know maybe in another 50 years. But I, I, you can't go to a place in Africa and be like, "Hey, have you heard of Elvis, Paul McCartney?" And expect people to be like, oh, yeah, I don't think so. I don't know. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's uh, another thing where looking at Michael spanning generations. Again, if you look globally, but he's also spanned generations. And so people who were not even on Earth in 2009 know who he is now. And that says a lot yeah. about the impact he's made. People are still talking about him, still listening to his music, still inspired by him to dance, to create, to, yeah. to, to make art. And uh, one of the things I respect and love about Michael, and I feel very passionate about this one, <laughs> that he was able to surpass a limited perspective of, quote, blackness. Yes. Yes. I, I think that is really crucial because me coming up, I listened to punk rock, 
yeah, I, I listen to Michael too, and I listen to hip hop. But I was in the punk rock. I was in bands. I skated. I did all of that stuff. People made fun of me. Oh, you want to be white? You want to do this? What's wrong with you? What's? It? And I got made fun of so hard. And here is this man again who cried, who wore high water pants mm. and and base regions, <laughs> and and he was wearing all kind of like clothes that people wouldn't usually wear but he was loved worldwide and he was like i'm just gonna be myself yes people call them weird and people call them i'm gonna say the epithet the j word that the media called them right because i'm mm-hmm. not trying to get yelled yeah. at by people <laughs> <laughs> but but you know despite all that he said i'm still gonna be myself and and he did not pay attention to how media limited how African people, quote unquote, should behave. Yes. He he made music that he felt he was passionate about and connected with people. And he was this guy, his performative voices. Hi, how are you doing? I'm Michael Jackson. You know, who who does that? Who does that and, and gets away with it? I can't think of anybody. <laughs> no, neither. And another aspect I like about him is his modesty, fashion. I mean, on stage, it was unparalleled, you know, with the jackets and the glitter and the love. But I love that he was a red shirt and black slacks type of guy. That's what he usually always wore. <laughs> like, you would see him with the red shirt and some black slacks of a fedora if he really wanted to accent it up in some loafers but he wasn't going out of his way to just stunt necessarily right. you know he seemed to be very modest in terms of how he approached even himself i don't think he put too much of a deal in what he had on and he didn't sing about that either and i also appreciate that because mm-hmm. i feel like just materialism and that kind of approach to wealth can just be very overindulgent and extravagant and I mean, it's obviously capitalist, um, but Michael, he didn't feel the need to sing about how great he was and how, oh, how no. wonderful. He was. Oh no! Look at me, stunning girl! <laughs> <laughs> my club, stunning right, girl. Come in, buy me more. <laughs> yeah, didn't do that. <laughs> yeah, he did. I mean, even I mean, you by you doing that reminded me of I'm a real gangster. <laughs> but like even that it's not like he went out because he could i mean i mean michael is probably the most quoted artist in hip-hop ever i mean there's so much you can reference to michael whether it's his moonwalk whether it's you know just he's created so many signatures and so many uh indicators of who he is that he could have done that his whole career you know, but he didn't. That's another thing that I bring up again. He chose his platform as a medium of things that really were important. And it wasn't so much about him as it was the medium and where he received this inspiration from the children and the state of the world. And that's very rare, very rare to see that kind of humility. It's not seen often. Didn't he say he was the vessel through which God presented something to that effect? Yes, exactly. <laughs> He's just a vessel. And uh, and he, he lived his life out of that understanding. Mm-hmm. So that's incredible. And, and getting back to the vulnerability, he I maybe you could think of any artist, but he's the 
only artists I could think of where men cry for him and pass out. And so men are not afraid to show vulnerability around Michael Jackson. Right, exactly. No, he is is probably one of the only ones because I've seen clips. We've seen it online. I mean, you're just screaming to the top of your lungs. It doesn't matter. It don't matter. I'm talking about, I mean, that's what people were saying. Even um, when he recorded the music video for Bad, you know, Mm. he was in the hood. A lot of mm-hmm. those times. And these were people who were just, oh, yo, Mike, yo, Mike, can you, you know, just like losing it because they're witnessing Michael. You know, <laughs> he had that ability. It's the same with Biggie Smalls. I mean, that's what I, I, I read a story when Michael recorded with him for this time around on the history album. Mm-hmm. Biggie was like, he, he became a little boy and he was, he just <laughs> wanted to just, be in his presence and you know and that's that just shows you the vernacular and just the the power of who he was and i think there was something i don't there must have been and i don't know we weren't there obviously at any of these shows but there must have been something about his presence that caused that kind of reaction because it's not very common for someone to faint i mean to faint (laughs) At a show, and I'm not talking about one isolated event. I'm talking hundreds of people at any given time just gone. He had to have something in the air of his his presence that was that powerful, you know. And um, and just the and I think also I was mentioning this today to my uh, just thinking about how he 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 embodied. A sort of stillness. He was such a student. Like when you watch the interview with um, Oprah, and when Liz Taylor comes in, you know mm-hmm. she's sitting down and he's standing perfectly still. Like he's not moving. At he's like a statue. Just that kind of. I mean, he would do that when you know he opened up for Dangerous, um, for the Dangerous tours for Jam. So the crowd is going crazy. He's not moving a peak. He's statuesque. <laughs> Standing while everyone's screaming there. I mean, and then the moment he turns his head, ah, that is even crazy. You know? <laughs> like that man, the amount of control. I mean, he he was almost like a magician when it came to. He knew how to take your attention and to manipulate that attention to, to focus on things that you would have probably forgotten about. I mean, he studied people. I mean, he loved David Blaine. So I guess that speaks also. <laughs> to- and the Marcel Marceau, who I actually got to see live shortly before he left. I took my oh, mother to see. Wow. Yeah. So Marcel Marceau is definitely one of the people Michael learned from the, the gift of mime. I am a huge fan of mime. I know for some reason people hate mimes. I love mimes. I considered going to mime school. And so that's another thing that really fascinates me about Michael is he brought mime to the general populace. Mime, the people who are fans of mime are a very specific population. Right. (laughs) For Michael to bring mime. And so you had, you know, elements of mime with the lockers and Tony, Tony Basil is still, still here. Tony Basil, you got to give credit to folks like Tony Basil. You got to give credit to folks like Turbo Bugaloo Shrimp, because that is who taught Michael. Oh, yes. You know, yes, you got to, got to give credit to those folks. And, you know, they brought mime as well, but, but they were specific to a, a community. So the hip hop community 
was loved by them, but you didn't have the global general populace. The global general populace at that time did not see Breakin'. They didn't see Beat Street. You know, they they didn't see all those movies, and they didn't watch Soul Train, so they may not have been familiar with the lockers. But Michael Jackson took those elements he learned from them and brought it to a global scale. And he's bringing mime, he's bringing popping and locking. He's yeah. bringing the, the backslide, which for some reason he named the moonwalk and then everybody else named it. That's, yeah. Come on. Uh, but he brought the backslide and he actually, his moonwalk, which is when you're just standing in one place, was actually better than his backslide. I don't, I, people can argue with me about that, but I love his moonwalk. The actual moonwalk, not the backslide. Mm-hmm. Uh, people didn't highlight his moonwalk as much, and I think his moonwalk was phenomenal. Phenomenal, I mean, yeah. And but he brought mime to a global scale in this way that no one else did it besides Marcel Marceau, and I don't even know if he did it on that level. No, that's <laughs> a very good point. I mean, it's same with ballet. I mean, mm-hmm. he incorporated just these embellishments of all kind of dance, and I love that he. He brought in, you mentioned popping locking. I mean, he, he, he knew. I mean, I, I watched again recently the Martin Bashit documentary. And, um, you know, he invites the kids over to Neverland and they're like, I go to the moonwalk. He's like, you know, I learned it from you guys. Like, you all, I right. learned it from y'all. You know, I love that he reminded them that he learned that from them. Like, they were his teachers. He never right. failed at acknowledging his teachers. And I think that's important. And I, I even love that about you, how you describe yourself as always a student. Like we're students. Right. You know, we're, we're, he, he never, he didn't mind calling himself a student. Like, oh, I learned that or I, I, I gained this from this person because it's not just one person. This is an organism. We can't just think that it's one person doing all of it. Even the people who we think do it all are getting something from somebody else. You know, and so he he was humble in that regard. He was obviously confident and he knew his ability, but he also knew that a lot of what he learned had come from his forebears. I mean, he was a student of probably one of the greatest schools around Motown. So he was around <laughs> Stevie. He was around Marvin. He was around Ella Fitzgerald. I mean, not Ella Fitzgerald. Well, yeah, Ella too. Um, but I'm. Oh well, yeah, he he literally was around her there with yeah, the he was around. Davis Junior right, 50th exactly. anniversary that, thing, I, and right. he got to bring her on stage. He I was like, what the heck? Right. And yes. Ella Fitzgerald. Ella Fitzgerald Man, is my it's... favorite vocalist of all time. So watching yes. that, I was like, Michael Jackson. I know. Oh. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Ella Fitzgerald is amazing, and. He, I mean, just to, and that's what I also appreciate is that when you think of old Hollywood, you know, people who remember it in the forties and, you know, he, he, he knows Fred Astaire. He knows Bob Floss. You know, these are people that a lot of people forget about because it's so long, but he brought them back into the center. So like, and if you watch a movie from Fred Astaire or any of these other people you can see is like, oh i see i see where i, I see where michael got that you know right um, it's, it's incredible because it it just makes it more unifying yeah there's um so let's talk about that and then i want to talk about his voice so we get uh dangerous which is actually my favorite michael sequence dangerous is i love it and so that directly comes from summer stocks during judy garland and that was choreographed by bob fossey bob fossey also he took uh elements the the billy jean sequence which mm-hmm. which 
people love that also you saw portions of that from the little prince choreographed by bob fossey and <laughs> then you had um then smooth criminal. So all of these things were taken from you. You talked about old Hollywood. So he took again those elements mm-hmm. and brought it to a global scale. And you know, so you have you have folks like Vincent Patterson. You have folks he worked with to to put those elements in it to, and put it into fruition and kind of fine tune it. But he he took those elements and, and brought it to to newer generations, and I, I definitely appreciate that because what you're seeing now is, uh, especially in my experience of talking to younger people who are teenagers, it's like they have no familiarity whatsoever with anything that came before them, and I'm not understanding why that is because I know when I was coming up. You know, I, I was born in the 70s, came up in the 80s, and I, we were still listening to music from the 60s and 50s. And so I'm not sure where this separation started. I, I, I don't profess to know at all, but people still know Michael Jackson. Still, he is the one link to multiple generations and that is amazing to me because again, even music uh, that was popular in the '90s, people like I don't know it, but you say Michael Jackson, they know it. For him to link the work of Bob Fosse and to make that connection globally is a huge deal. So he's paying tribute to his teachers, yes, and he's paying tribute to those who inspired him. And I know there's the whole debate about inspiring being inspired versus stealing. I know that's a common debate, but Michael never said he created anything. He, he really did that fine line thing <laughs> where yeah, he never, probably. he never said, yeah, I didn't, but he, he didn't confirm or deny. He just said, I got it from the kids or whatever. He never let out his secrets, which is a Hollywood thing to do. Actually. Exactly. I tell him. <laughs> but, yeah, he, he really inspired multiple generations of people. And that is not a common thing for any celebrity to do. And to, to think of you, you mentioned him on the dangerous tour and the opening. And I, I think I counted it. I think him standing there was about two and a half minutes, if I'm not mistaken. Whoa. If I remember counting correctly. Two and a half minutes. That's a long time to stand around and not move. And not move. I mean, two and a half minutes. I couldn't. I couldn't even imagine like the uh, the amount of um, persistence and just training of your body. Mm-hmm. Who's to say he had to itch <laughs> or any of it? You know, because mm-hmm. you don't think of it. And he he just maintained that and had everyone looking at him waiting for him to do something and then i mean he started off you he's you know the toaster pops up and then (laughs) stand still two and a half minutes that's amazing well i'll tell you this as a person who has performed on stage you forget about all of that you forget that you had to pee you forget that you had to itch it's the adrenaline is at an all-time high in performing and it goes by so fast you don't even know what hits you. 
And so we're watching two and a half minutes. I'm like, this is a long time. But for him, mm-hmm. it, it might be longer, but it's also the adrenaline. So it, it, it might also have gone by really fast, faster than we're we're looking at it. It's true. And, the adrenaline and, is a very important factor. Yeah. yeah. And to keep up that mystery, to stand there for two and a half minutes, everyone's just screaming, going, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? And then he turns around and takes off his glasses. <laughs> ah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then you hear, one, two, three. Two, three. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, woo, now you're ready. <laughs> ha, ha. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that is just to inspire people just by that, not saying a word and just standing there. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> it's just so amazing. I, I want to talk about his singing. So what about his singing? either inspires you or simply what do you love about his singing? I mean, Michael's singing is just, it's, it almost feels like it's not from this world because what I appreciate the most is that he doesn't over sing. He'll just sing the way it comes. And you can really hear that in songs like Little Susie. I was just listening to that. And it's just one of those songs where it's like, it's a story, but it's told in such a, it's it's kind of haunting when I listen to that one in particular, or even with the choirs in the beginning. But he had an ability to sing in a way that was just like he was drinking water almost. But then, I mean, that's, I'm talking about songs like Little Susie and Childhood or even Smile. But then you take a song that's a bit more aggressive where he's screaming. And, and, and I also appreciate that he didn't always make words that were audible <laughs> he really gave space <laughs> to like just like what wait, wait wait what did you say you know like it was that kind of like a good example is obviously smooth criminal and <laughs> but in a more uh obscure one i think where he's just doing that is monkey business it's just like it, it's just coming out of him and it has rhythm you feel it is so you know, and he did that really when you look at how he performed live during the bad era, mm-hmm. that in particular, too, where it's just like his voice is just going all of these different directions. He has such a unique voice and his voice was an instrument. And I hate, 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 hate. I'm going to say this for all the Prince fans. I'm going to call y'all <laughs> on this one. Oh, Prince played 21 instrument. My, Michael, do you realize the voice is the first instrument it takes training it takes talent it takes genes too to have a good voice it's not like everyone can have a good voice anyone can learn to play an instrument not taking away from that not taking away from the training and the studying that goes into playing an instrument but to sing takes time it is an instrument just like you have to tune a guitar you have to tune your voice michael knew that and he took so good care of his voice and that's clear throughout his life i mean you listen to michael as a kid and you thinking you're listening to someone who's been singing all of their lives because he had perfect pitch he had i don't know how many octaves he was able to go to but i mean just his voice is unmatched and when i hear michael i hear 
the emotion. I can see why he cried on a song like She's Out of My Life. Or even if you take a song like Is It Scary, where you hear that kind of anger, like, am I the beast you visualized? Like the way he, he, he puts these deflections in his voice when he's singing these things, it, you, you hear it and it just invites chills over your body. And he can do that within. I always say, you know, just briefly on the passing of Aretha Franklin, Aretha Franklin and Michael and maybe Roberta Flack, too. Oh, yeah. Well, of course, Roberta Flack as well. Those three singers alone, it doesn't matter what I'm listening to of them singing. I can get chills because it's something about that emotional transferring they believe with what they're singing they believe what they're singing and you hear that and that's what really made me fall in love with michael was his voice even though i saw the video for beat it and i saw remember the time and i loved to see him dance i just loved how his voice was just naturally soulful and again he just sang the song he didn't have to add any bells and whistles he can go high if the song required it but if it didn't you just sung it and and that's all you really need. And and it maintained that. And I just love how I mean, one of my favorite songs is Elizabeth. I love you because that's a good example of him just composing a song that has all of these uh, auras. And um, so, I mean, the voice of Michael is unparalleled because, again, he can get aggressive. You can listen to a song like Morphine, listen to a song like DS, and then you can listen to a song like Little Susie or smile even and just you you can't you can't replace that and it's a very and, and then another thing about michael is his songs are very hard to sing too <laughs> so yes, like are. you thinking you can oh I can, I can do that no 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 no. it's not as easy as it sounds i mean he he has such a a talent so i mean yeah he's i think michael is one of the best singers in the world yeah. And it's understated. I hate that a lot of people don't talk about it. I hate how it's always a focus on his dance. I love that Michael is such a um, an amazing dancer, but we don't give enough credit to his voice, I don't think. Mm. And we were having a conversation in another recording, but I'll uh, mention this right here. The thing about covering a Michael song, you have to understand the construction of a song. If you're just covering a song just to cover it or because you like his voice. And my experience of listening to people do that, the covers aren't as good. Mm -hmm. And when people understand the construction of a song, and it's usually people who create music themselves and they don't just sing or they write music. They may not play instruments, but they write music or they work with other writers. Um, those covers are usually better. But when people are just singing to sing, it, it just, in my view, does not sound as well. Uh, and Michael had one of the best vibratos in the business. Just warm, such a warm tone. And you were talking about his different voices. And, and I think like Bob Dylan, he had different voices. But yeah. Michael, he had, to me, kind of the, the plain voice. So in songs like Little Susie or Smile, to me, that was his plain voice. And it was the voice you heard most when he was uh, practicing his recordings. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm trying to think. You know, just or if you listen to the Thriller sessions, 
And yeah. the the raw recordings that that seemed to be more of his plain voice. There were no embellishments at all. It was just him trying to get his groundings on how to understand the composition of that recording. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think with little Susie and smile, uh, it was him just conveying a simple message. It it was, it was a, a a deep message, but it was, it was very simple. Mm -hmm. And then you have songs like be not always and childhood, his child voice comes out and it's usually, it, it usually comes out when he's, literally getting ready to cry and yeah. so you notice his voice get, get his voice gets a lot smaller right before he's getting ready to cry uh same as she's out in my life like right when he sings like it, it he has sort of the the apex of the song and then it comes down and then when he says and it cuts like a knife he's like and it cuts like and that's when his voice starts to crack right. and then you hear She's out of my life. And then his voice gets small. And so uh, right. to me, he has a childlike voice mm -hmm. in those recordings when he's literally getting ready to cry. And then, he, of course, he has the gospel-tinged voice. So uh, that, I think he used that mostly when he performed live. And you heard it mostly on the bad tour because that was the tour where he predominantly sang live. Come on. Uh, that could be a whole other episode, but this idea that he sang 100% live on all of his tours, we could get into that because nice. that wasn't true. Nice. Even on the yes. bad tour, he lip synced Man in the Mirror and he lip synced the first verse of The Way You Make Me Feel. Go listen to the recording and come back to the live performance and tell me different. <laughs> but, um, but, he had he had the gospel tinge voice, like the the portion of right after he right before he sings "Rock with You" and after she's out of my life, which is ah, you. can you <laughs> you know that right, one? I that can't is, sing. Yeah. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. I can't <laughs> I sing. I get it. I but <laughs> you sound way better than than I. Trust me. No, I think I think you can actually sing. I can't, but yeah. <laughs> I think I heard you. I heard you sing, and, but, uh, but, you know, that's his gospel tainted voice. Like when he starts freestyling or ad libbing, um, and when he gets, you know, the, the portion of man in the mirror where he starts freestyling, gotta make that change. Get don't do your brother. Get that, that whole thing. And, um, and then, uh, when he gets a, uh, tell me what about it. Like that's the, the gospel, the gospel tip. Yeah, singing. exactly. Mm -hmm. And and then you mentioned the first instrument, so Rochelle Farrell, who is my favorite living vocalist. I I know sue me, Michael Jackson is not my favorite. Yes. So I'm sorry, <laughs> but Ella Fitzgerald is my favorite vocalist of all time, and Rochelle Farrell is my favorite living vocalist. But Michael is up there, and Rochelle Farrell, her first album is called First Instrument. She plays piano, she plays guitar, yes. but her album is called First Instrument. So you are correct that. The voice is the first instrument. It is the instrument of communication. It is, it is an instrument of of getting what you want when you use it correctly. <laughs> yes. And so Michael also played instruments. He wasn't as proficient as Prince Rogers Nelson, but he played piano, he played guitar, and he played percussion. And he was credited as doing so on the History album. Yes. And we have to give him credit for that. Again, he wasn't proficient. But he did play instruments, 
And he yeah, he did play instruments. That's another thing. Yeah. Yeah, he tooled around on things, and he did he did draft songs on instruments once in a while, and then he recorded instruments once in a while. But he used his voice not only as a tool of communication, but to craft a song and to inform songwriter or, yeah, right. or uh, other studio musicians on how he wanted the song. And nobody, uh, people who don't have a musical voice are not able to do that. But Michael has a musical voice. And people said that about Marvin Gaye. They were like, oh, he's not good on the drums and he's not that great on the piano. But he was able to convey his message. And I thought he was great. I thought he was great on both, personally. <laughs> Completely, but, yes. But, but he was able to convey those messages, and Michael was able to convey those messages. And, and he had whole-ass recordings where he he took multi-tracks and recorded a whole song and said, here, this is how I want it. Completely. And you can talk to Brad Buxer, and you can talk to, to Michael Prince and all these people who confirm that. So... To say, oh, Michael didn't know how to play instruments, whatever. He was just a dancer and singer. It's just you don't get where you are in the position Michael Jackson did with just being a dancing monkey. No, no disrespect to Bubbles, who was a champion. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, you know, you don't get as far as Michael Jackson got to just be a, 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 a tool for the recording industry or the entertainment industry. He He worked hard and he spoke out. And he got to where where he got through persistence, through 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 hard work, and through faith. He always he always talked about that. <laughs> and yes. so we can't I we can't I, I honestly I think saying that Michael is God to say that Michael is perfect I think that is disrespecting Michael because that doesn't acknowledge the work he took to get where he, he could. If he was God and if he was perfect, he wouldn't have to do any work. If, yeah, if he if he was God, he wouldn't honestly, he wouldn't have to get plastic surgery. If if he was perfect, anybody perfect, they don't have to do any work on themselves because you already got the work done. Exactly. So so to say, oh, he's God, he's perfect. is That's disrespecting the life and the legacy and the work of Michael Jackson. As far as I'm concerned. Yes, completely. I echo all of those sentiments. I think it's important to acknowledge that he was human. I'm only human. This is what he said. <laughs> so, I mean, we don't have to exaggerate his uh, his godlike uh, aura uh, and his transcendent like spirit. I mean, he obviously was still a human and he navigated with those emotions as best he could as being the most famous human <laughs> and having access to a lot of different avenues that we couldn't even imagine. Um, but he still maintained his humanity and his childhood, you know, and that's something that I think is also laudable. You know, he acknowledged he was a product of all of his experiences and, um, he didn't ever try to recreate or reinvent something that wasn't his. He just took what was his and he went with it. And so this is why we celebrate and appreciate Michael. It's crazy to think he would have been 60. Um, I want to maybe Ooh. we can close it off with this one because we can go all day about it. But um, in relation to Michael's age, you know, he was 50 when he uh, passed away. And so it's been 
nine years since his passing, but he would have been 51 in August of 20, August 29th. So what do you think about how he would have received um, that uh, transition? How he would have received his transition? No, 60. Like, oh, oh, I'm yeah, like, oh, uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> Uh, well, he always talked about not wanting to get older, so I don't know how well he would have taken it, to be honest. I think the only reason he wanted to be here, and I'm just going by what he's publicly said, is for his kids. He was deathly afraid of getting older. That is why he uh, associated with Peter Pan mentally. Um, but I think his kids were the light of his life, and... If he were to live to be 60, 70, 80, to see them grow, he would have done that. Right, yeah. What do you think? Same as you. I think the children were his uh, his reason and his life. And I don't know if, because people speculate that the last few years of his life, he started to kind of kill that image of Peter Pan. Um I would Which, agree with that. <laughs> I would agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with you. Say, wait, you do or you don't? I, I do because you oh, didn't right. see yeah. him talking about it. Right, like exactly. That. I think the trial really hit home. Mm -hmm. um, and it. I think it acknowledged to him that, okay, I need to just live. I don't need to compare myself to any of these uh, stories. So I do think he was getting away from that. And I hope he would have even embraced that you know, growth and yeah. embracing the fact that he was older and not feeling as if it was bad or that he needed to preserve. Because this culture and Hollywood in general has an unhealthy obsession with youth and the aspect of preserving your youthfulness and looking young. I mean, the truth is, as living species, we evolve, we grow. Our bodies change, our tastes change. What we wear changes. Our relation to different foods might change. And that is a natural progression of life. I don't think that's to be feared or even shunned. I think we should embrace that. Um, so I would hope that he would have done the same, seeing his children grow and him also taking into account that, hey, you know, I've had a long run. I've, I've, he's done so much in the music industry and just in general, his, his life, he's accomplished so much. So I would have hoped for that embracing of, of age because it's, it's nothing wrong with. Absolutely. And, and before we go, there's two questions. So some of your favorite Michael songs and to end, when you think of Michael, what is the one word you think of? Two hard questions. <laughs> Anytime I answer these questions, especially as it relates to my favorite MJ songs, I can only speak of this current moment and what I've just chosen to listen to. And the first three that I would say is People Make the World Go Round, Little Susie, and On the Line. Mm. That's a rare one. And, a lot of people mm -hmm. may have not heard, but yeah. And in terms of the first word that I think of when I think of Michael, it's giving. Mm -hmm. um, and I wish I had a, I mean, I'm sure if I look at the thesaurus, I can come with a more uh, <laughs> powerful word. But giving is, I think, the best word. He just the aspect of giving cheerfully, even giving with no 
expectation to get it returned back. Because he, Michael, literally would give, if you saw Michael out when he was going out in the 90s and, and his life, and he had a cool jacket, and you said, hey, Michael, I like this jacket, he would take off his jacket and give it to you. <laughs> I mean, it's been proven. You know, he, he never felt a ownership of anything. And I think that just shows he learned from his teachers, you know, and I mean, even his designers, uh, I can't, their name. My, Michael Bush. Yeah, Michael Bush. They were like, Michael, we spent two months <laughs> on this jacket, man. <laughs> so the fact that he just, hey, sir, you can have it, you know, like, he, that kind of giving is so rare these days, you know, and the fact that he did that, not only with just physical items, but just himself himself and his soul his spirit his work he gave it and it wasn't about trying to own you know like i mean he he really that i like how you also mentioned a relationship like it he felt like it this was given to me this came from something else it did not come from me and i think that's what also allowed him to do that without any reservation and that just shows that we can all reach that kind of place where, I mean, we, we as humans, I think we, we love to hoard things and keep things and especially if you work for those things. But it's one thing to say, you know, yeah, I did work my ass off for this. I did sweat blood and tears for this. But this is also something that I've been blessed to have. Like I'm a steward of this. You know, it's not like I'm the I'm big massa owning it and employing people to to use it for service. I'm I'm a steward and. If you want it, you can have it. And I think that's a very honorable thing. So that's why, well, I'm a, even though I just said my favorite song was on the line, I'm going to switch on the line for What More Can I Give? So people okay. make me go around, Little Susie and What More Can I Give? Wow. Wow. Is there any reason for those three songs? Or um, do you just, you just love those songs? I love What More Can I Give because I remember that. That is one of my first earliest memories with Michael, even though, again, I have, you know, when I think of 9-11, that time in my life, that's a day I remember, too, even though I was really young. I was probably, what, nine when it happened. Mm -hmm. um, I was really young. And I just know that I remember watching on MTV. I remember that song as a child. I remember the melody. I remember just the the you know Carlos Santana playing the guitar is something when I think of that time I just think of how how it just conceptualized 2001 for me and I love the lyrics I love what, what he did with that song I love the the production obviously the meaning the question is such a good question what more can I give um and so I really resonate with that because I think it's just an appropriate answer to what was going on. Um, on the line, again, that's one of my favorites just because of the, the production. I love the arrangement. Um, and Little Susie is something about that song that always gives me chills. Um, the way he sings it, the, the story, is it correct? You might be able to correct me on this if I'm wrong. But I read that he wrote that song like in the 70s. Mm, I don't know if that's correct. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I think the song is based on uh, a piece of art, which oh, I don't okay. know was made from the 70s. I don't know the, the exact date, but. Okay. Well, even still, like the song, the way he sings it, it's such a wonderful story. 
and he sings it. It's it's very hunting, like I mentioned earlier. But it's something about that arrangement of that song that always feels sacred to me and how he mm-hmm. sang it. And people make the world go round is just. I mean, I love the stylistics version, but Michael's version is my favorite because of the. I mean, he was so young when he recorded it. It's crazy. I mean, that's why when I see people, you know, sharing me and look, I'm gonna just say it. X Factor, American Idol, all of these. Oh, oh, look at this little. You know, they can sing and maybe it's like, psh, please. They literally have no like. You cannot compare these young kids that I've seen. I mean, I'm not saying I'm not doubting that there are young kids who can sing because I've seen some young kids that can sing. But in general, when people share these clips of the newest hot sensation it's it's usually never even a a pinky of what michael was able to do with his voice at his age i mean it it just blows my mind you listen to people make the world go round and you hear the sentiment you hear the passion and he had a gift that is no no other word way you can just describe it he had a gift and it's felt and that song in particular i've been listening to it nearly every day because it's just a perfect song it's a perfect song to wake up to um i have it set as my alarm because it's just it just has everything it just takes you there so yeah that's what i would say what about you they swear you are if you have long hair yeah <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, off the top of the dome right now, I can't help it. That's actually my favorite Michael song of all time. It's the one song linked to his jazz voice, and my yes. favorite music's jazz, so I'm forever gonna have that as my favorite song. And out of all the Michael records I have, and again, I have all of his albums, I have the 12 inches, all that on vinyl. My one prized possession is an acetate copy of that song. And if anybody knows anything about acetate records, it's not vinyl. You cannot play them as much as vinyl. They're essentially only to be played once or twice because they're, yeah, it's basically the master copy before you put them on test pressings. Oh, that must be extremely rare. Yes, it is. So that's my, my, if out of all my micro records, it's my prized possession. And, uh, I have a, a half speed master of off the wall thriller. They sound excellent. Uh, but yeah, the, um, the acetate records, they usually can only be played on one side and they smell Amazing. different than vinyl. And it's really hard to find acetate copies of micro records, uh, on vinyl or quote unquote vinyl. Um, and you know, they talk about, oh, acetates of CDs, like you can, press tons of copies of CDs, but you cannot press tons of copies of actual acetate. I don't even know if they make acetate vinyl anymore, quote unquote. <laughs> but that is, I, I, it's my favorite song. So I, I found it on eBay many years ago. And <laughs> I was actually at, at, at my job when I was ordering it. So I was back and forth. <laughs> like, I have to have this. Wow. And so I, uh, I, I, I have listened to it a few times, but the more you listen to it, it's going to degrade and you're not going to have any sound because it's acetate and it's really, it's not as sturdy. And again, it, it's only to be used to make test pressing. So I can't help it is my favorite Michael song of all time. The other two songs, and I have a lot of songs I love, but off the top of the dome, 
Take Me Back. It's actually probably my fourth favorite Michael song, and that's uh, on for, Forever Michael. Mm-hmm. And uh, Forever Michael is one of my four favorite Michael albums. So Forever Michael, Off the Wall, Invincible, and History. Yes, those are my four favorite Michael albums. And Take Me Back is the first song I recognize Michael to use a lot of the inflections we now know him to use. And he started doing, yeah, that's the first song I noticed it. Like you, you hear it in other songs, but that's for me the first song I heard it. And the first album really, um, you started hearing those inflections and you started, yeah, you know, um, and it's just, it's, it's a good song. I think the song ultimately was modeled to be like a Barry White song. Because you have that album and you hear elements of Chicago, you're Barry White, you you hear a lot of the contemporary music that was out at that time. And that album reflects that essentially. But to me, Take Me Back had a Barry White vibe to it, except it's got this 15-year-old kid singing. <laughs> but um, I love that song. And I... I I don't know what people are, what they think of when they listen to that song, but for me, I think of Africa. Like, I want to go home. Africa, take me back wherever I want. That's what I think of when I hear that song. And um, another song, so here's a fourth song, Push Me Away. That song is pure perfection. And that's on the Destiny album. And to me, that album is the first sign of Michael's cry for help. Like we're we're talking about all these songs when he got older. Like will you be there? Uh, listen to Destiny because he's crying for help in that album. And Push Me Away is just oh, just his vocals are like butter. I mean I'm vegan, so you know, but still, <laughs> his vocals are like butter, just smooth, just perfection, his vibrato, everything about that. The string arrangements, everything about that song is perfect. Oh, see now I'm thinking of more and more songs. See? Oh my goodness. Uh so then there's <laughs> and then I'm thinking of the Triumph album. So we have songs like oh like I mm, I was gonna say wondering who, but Michael's not on that totally. But uh, we have everybody. I, just just the Triumph album. I'm just gonna say. The <laughs> I'm just gonna say. Uh, uh, time waits for no one. I mean, there's so many gems on that album. But the other song I was thinking of on the top of the dome was Earth Song, and that's the one song on the History album yes. that had no drum programming. It was 100% live, and that that song stands out because of that. And I just think the song ultimately is about a spiritual dilemma. It's, it's sort of like, will you be there? And you don't get a lot of those songs from Michael. And so when he's asking, you know, what about all the things you pledge your only son? Or uh, what about this? What about that? So he's, he's, I don't think he's questioning his faith, but He's having that conversation with God, in, in in my view, that a lot of people who have faith do have. Mm-hmm. And that's the journey that people who have faith do have. And, and I think that was his opening, his open question right. to the most high. He wasn't saying, God, I don't think you exist or anything, because his his belief, his faith in God was quite strong, if I recall. But But I think. That's a journey a lot of spiritual people go through 
uh, people of faith go through. And I think that song was evident of that. It's it's that question of, you know, if you're here, can you please tell me why all of these things are going on? And uh, so I, I just think that's a not only is the song sonically beautiful, but just having that question spiritually. I think that is another element to Michael Jackson that doesn't really get talked about in terms of the one word uh, teacher. I consider Michael to be a huge teacher of mine. Based on everything I said earlier in this episode, he is my teacher, and I will forever be grateful to that. I have a lot of teachers, but in terms of me coming to the realization about my healing journey, Michael was the person who contributed to that. So he is a teacher to me, and I will always be a student to Michael Jackson. Yes. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. I mean, you said it all there, and I just want to say thank you to all the listeners for listening in on our first podcast, Music and We. We're going to talk about a lot of different things. This was just a icebreaker to just acknowledge the wonders that Michael contributed to the world. But we're going we're gonna to get deep on yes. some of these episodes, and it's, <laughs> you know, it was a lot of you know, luxury of memory. And then we're going to bring down the other, you know, just like Michael did. That's another thing you mentioned about, you know, when you were watching Michael as a young person, you like, Oh, this is so dark. And it's, it's true. You know, when you really look at it, especially when he got older, he explored a lot of dark themes. I mean, the last song on his album that he released when he was around is threatened. And you listen to a <laughs> song like that. And it's like, Whoa, you know, even during the history era with songs like Ghost and Too Bad. I mean, he, he was extremely involved in just this dark presentation of himself. And I think that's something that a lot of people understated. I mean, we always think of Thriller, the video. And that is, I mean, my nephew, it's funny. My first, you know, nephew, Deshaun, when he saw it, he loved it. He wanted to watch it all the time. He loved it transform into a wolf. He was like, oh, it's so fun. Like, ah. He, he, that, he watched it all the time. But then my other nephew, the money, he hated that. He was like, he didn't like it. But now he likes it. But it's funny how kids react to that video. When I first saw it, I thought it was just genius because I'm drawn to that too. I love just darkness and just kind of like twisting the, nature of what's seen as demonic it's challenging just that whole narrative because we all have those kind of things going in our day-to-day lives you know these mm-hmm. nightmares and he he really put an echo and focus to it and he made it about just the challenging um aspect of it so i don't know i just i love that stuff but that's kind of what we gonna do so we can talk about human nature and just these lovely songs and the, the, but then there's also the other aspect that, you know, isn't as spoken about. And yes, Sam Smith, we do love Michael Jackson. Yeah. Oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> Fade out right now before I start cursing. <laughs> <laughs> Make me want to scream. Right. Oh. <laughs> Thank y'all for listening so much. And. Michael, if you were here, we would say happy born day, but you are not physically here and we're still celebrating your life. So thank you for everything you've done. Thank you.